Please be advised, the following program contains some adult themes and content. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Hi, I'm Ronnie O'Sullivan, and this is 365 Days of Sport. 365 Days of Sport. Yes, good evening and welcome to yet another edition of the greatest non-sports sports radio show on the planet. Yes, it's that time of the week again. Time for the Jack Link's Beef Jerky 365 Days of Sport radio show. Happy Tuesday, everybody! What's up, Rob? I shot 76 today. 76? Yeah. I think it was actually, in a lot of ways, it was better than 75. Was <laughs> okay, it, yep. because, because the conditions, Beef. Ah. I, I was in uh, in the bog. I was going in through the bog? these severe rainstorm shower things coming across. Second hole, this is like, it's a short par four. It's only 260 odd meters. But I, and I've just like, I've never hit it on the green. And at the moment, because it's such a bog, I was like, oh, I don't even think about it. I just thought T.I. was trying to have a bit of a smash. It just what felt like just a decent sort of fade. Didn't feel amazing. Yeah. And then wandering up with the guys playing with, and he goes, oh, I think he might be on the green up there. Ah, oh, plugged. <laughs> and then, uh, yes, yeah, so smashed on the green. And then uh, sunk like this 20-foot breaker for, oh, a, for an eagle. Unbelievable. Yeah, so all of a sudden, the eagle, and then I went a bogey, and then I went birdie, par, birdie. I was I was three under after six holes. Ooh. And that was, and the, I just got, yeah, I, guess I, get I hear, uh, and, and then Greg, that's when the rain Greg came Norman's in. Norman's ringing, Rob. Yeah, Greg yeah, Norman's it's, ringing. It's right there. That, and that's when the rain came in. Oh, man. It was just mental. Oh, was it? Yeah. And the guy I was playing with, he, we caught the ladies, the ladies day on Tuesday, and we caught up to them. Ladies night. And, um, ladies night. Day, we, Is it? Yeah. Day. Okay. We don't play golf at the night, and especially not in winter. And anyway, should do. Get the lights on. Um, and uh, and he's like, oh, I can't be bothered. And he left. So and I sort of make an official round. I was like, well, what am I gonna do? You know, because he got wet. But a little bit because of the wet, but mostly because it, he, we caught the field and it was going to be a, a painfully slow uh, round, and he, and he can't you, handle yeah, it. Yeah, so that they were in a three. So I ended up joining up with the ladies in front, Yay! and she, they, they took over the card for the back half. So it's right. an official round. Official. Yeah. So I'm going to come in. Uh, so I'm on eleven now. So five under. I'm going to drop down about eight. Oh, how good is this? Yeah. So that's... Uh, well, that's going to be fun, seeing well, you on the yeah, Australian now I, Open. Now I have to play to an eight. Well, that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, that's uh, that's good news, eh? Yeah. But, but the thing with me, because I'm not that consistent. Yeah, know. well, it's the, that's but, the art to any but, sport. But this Rob. is the thing. I have to make birdies. Birdies and stuff or else I yeah, can't okay. get this. So I'm not the sort of guy who's got to make pars because I'm not just like up the middle sort of Are guy. you the type of guy that goes out and takes a... 500 balls and puts them in the bunker and chips on the green to practice all that rubbish? Definitely not. See? There you go. Uh, who who would do that? Why don't we? Uh, professionals. Well, yeah, but that's so boring. People in the Australian Open, Rob. Yeah, yeah, they probably do do that. Yeah. That's a bit boring, though. I know it's a bit boring, yeah. but uh, if you take this, I think I can get out. I'm getting out, getting out of the bunker. Well, at the moment, bunkers are ground under a pit. Oh, so you can just drop out? Yeah. Oh, 75 is like a 90, well, then, well, isn't it? It's soaked, beefy. Oh, God. Absolutely soaked. I was, th- I was so overjoyed when you got this 76. Now I realise that. It's all rubbish. Did I go in the bunker today? Twice, actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, did you? Yes. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, well, that's the thing. I've heard recently as well. That um, you're not allowed to call them ladies' tees anymore. 
It's all over. Well, where did you hear that from? I think it was part of Woke News. It was somewhere. me. I told you. It no, it's official. It's official now. It's, it's, well, this, this already happened in real life to me. Uh, I didn't say it. One of the other blokes I was playing with said it because we were playing with the what, ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, she corrected us and said, no, we just say green and red. Uh, uh, I think well, it, most clubs are actually white for the men's and okay. red for the ladies. Yeah. But ours, are, for whatever reason, they're orange and, they and, and green. Anyway, so she she uh, mentioned that, and so yeah. that's that's where we're I at. Saw now. It. I read this, it in this the is how news. we're going to achieve real equality. This this is the game changing stuff. What we need to do is yeah. renaming the T's. That's mm. where we're at now because we can't have that. I definitely yeah. read it was it's official. Yeah. Oh, here it is. One week ago, golf clubs are scrapping ladies' tee under a push to make the game more gender inclusive. Are they going to have the novice tees? I or? think that's uh, what they're calling them. Or they're also reviewing it. Possibly, but they shouldn't call it the novice. That's that. Isn't that more? If you, what if you're a female golfer? I think they're called the less abled tees. What, what, what if you're a, a female golfer that's been playing for thirty years? Yeah, and maybe plays off a, a twenty or something. But you play off what were were previously known as the ladies' tees, and now you're on the novice tees. Mm. That, but you've been playing for thirty years. So, so to me, that would say if that is the case, I don't think they'll be calling it that. No, uh, they'll I, just go by the color, won't they? I would have thought so. Yeah. I actually think they were talking about going by ability. Mm. Uh, well, that's a bad idea. Why? Because women just can't hit the ball anywhere near as Whoa, far as Whoa, calm down, Rob. You're not allowed I, to say only, that. Only, well, no, I am allowed to say it. I just said it. And I've said it because it's true. It's without doubt. You should have seen these ladies play with today. I mean, I hit it further than most people anyway, most men. Uh, I'll tee off 50 metres behind them and hit it 150 metres past them. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I was reading about it. I can't remember what they're called, but I, whether they're general neutral. I'm pretty sure they were going by ability or something. Yeah. I mean, the, oh, I'm not talking about like long range women, women that are doing the long range driving and stuff. Mm. Like they hit the ball very well, and obviously pros do as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're pros. They you are. Know, your standard female golfers just won't. Well, they'll, they'll struggle to get know. to 200 meters. I think there was also talk about bringing. I mean, look, the courses I've played in the past five or six years, the difference between the black tees and the red tees is probably only about 30, 40 yards in at most. But they were actually talking about bringing the T distances a bit more closer together anyway. Maybe. Because, well, that must be based on something other yeah, than... Yeah, well, must, I must... think it's based on technology more yeah. than anything because, obviously, in the old days, the women's tees, ladies' tees, now the red tees, whatever it is, were substantially yep. further up than the yellows that we used to play off. Yeah. Oh, well, very depending on the hole. At Yarrabin, sometimes they're basically the same spot. Yeah, okay. And then, But there's many holes where... They'll have a fifty to sixty meter head start or mm. something, but uh, it, but still, some of the they'd have no chance on a lot of some of the par fours getting on for two. Yeah, they, they, they couldn't they could couldn't hit the ball hundred meters really. Well, as long as they're on the fairway, Rob. As long as it's straight, that's the main aim of golf. Straight, not uh, length. No, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, well, I mean, look. The fact is, you want. I mean, if you hit it reasonably far and you're yeah. straight, then that's good. Okay, but not, uh, you know, just average distance. Okay, right. But if you don't hit it far at all, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're straight. Actually, okay. Imagine if you hit every shot sixty meters. Well, as long as it's straight. Well, then if it's a 300-meter par four, it takes you five shots to get on the green. That's hopeless. Oh, well. How can you ever get a four if you have takes five to get on the green? Anyway, it doesn't, doesn't matter because I can't play golf anymore. I'm not allowed. Now, talking about why I'm not allowed, I went for my test yesterday where yeah. they shoved loads of long needles. Yeah, in your shoulder. In my shoulder and in my muscles around my back yeah. and everything else and then bloody shocked me. 
to test my nerve functions. To the old, uh, oh yeah, that's what I had that time. Yeah. Uh, how'd you go with the shock? Yeah, it was all right. And yeah. they shoved it in no, my neck no as well. No reaction? No, uh, there was a reaction, which yeah. is a good... Th- Look, the results are it's good and bad, actually, because it's good that my nerve function is okay, but mm. it's bad now because that means I've got to have a shoulder replacement. Really? Yeah. So you definitely can't play golf? No, not for the time being. Yeah. Not until I get my new bionic shoulder Uh And have they gone, so are they starting to uh, let you know how that all works? Not quite yet. I only had it yesterday. Is it a hinge joint? I don't know what it is. I think a shoulder is a hinge joint. Ball and socket. Well, it's a bit of ball and socket too, but then it can't go, only go yeah. up so far. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So I'm getting a new shoulder eventually. Right, well, that's... Uh, Rehab's going to be interesting. It, is that predominantly from the penny farthing? No, no, no. This is from playing rugby when I dislocated okay. it badly in 2006. So it's not so that penny farthing thing that's kind that's of... That's my that, other shoulder. That, that one's gone kind that's of That's my other shoulder. That one's fully re- recuperated? Uh, no, no. Definitely not. But uh, we're going to deal with that after we deal with the old injury first. What a shambles. Yeah. I think I'm going to play the cricket season and then get my shoulder redone. Yeah. I, I'm free. I'm just. I'm. I feel like I'm due for an injury soon. Oh, okay. So, because the hip, I figured out the hip. Did I tell you what that was. No, what was happening? I had my belt too tight. <coughs> yeah, that's a that's a such a bad injury because I it, tight belt. It was actually called tight belt syndrome. <laughs> I thought I talked about this last week. Did I not? I don't know. I haven't listened to the show, so I, I don't know. Oh, no, I don't I think don't, you did. I can't. Be repeating. Tight belt syndrome. Yeah. So what happened was when I went to the UK, crucial. I had a 32-inch waist when I went oh, to the yeah, UK. Yeah. I was all proud of myself because that's about as small as it can get. Yeah. And uh, No, they can actually get a lot smaller. No, but mine, okay. personally, yeah, yeah. At, at my age, so the, 32 inches so is pretty good. tight belt syndrome, and, and you're so cutting I, off the blood supply well, to that, your hips. That's basically, I was doing that and, like, and causing my... Uh, hips to be slightly inverted or or just just pushing them back restricted like, just, just, just say just restricted restricted yeah, yeah. and um <laughs> and i wore these pants the whole time i was in the uk and it oh, got it got surprised it got worse and worse throughout and because and because i was so proud i had the belt on the only there's no notches left it was on the narrowest notch oh, i should have gone um, and seen the cobbler putting a roll in this mate <laughs> no, i was worried i was getting like because my dad's had his hip replaced yeah and i thought oh it's all the skull from rotating on the old uh <laughs> On the hip joint too much, yeah. and, uh, but no, that's not what it is. So no. anyway, I'm on the men from that one beef. <laughs> Just put the belt out one notch, and it's all it all came together. How funny is that? A few quad stretches. Ah, yeah. tight belt syndrome. So beware, people. If you're feeling a bit tight around the hips, yeah. just loosen up that belt a little bit. Yeah. How, how do you think all these guys are going to go now, you know, the trendy ones with all their tight jeans? Well, but the, did you this, see, this is how out of the, the trends you are. Oh, Pete. okay, yeah, yeah. The tight jeans now, if you're really, if you're properly on the trends, the tight jeans are not are gone. Oh, are they? No, it's like baggy. They're bringing the baggy hips. Mate, stuff. I went to that boxing fight the other week. Yeah, the old um, what's he called, George Bosis. Oh, well, they, but they probably haven't got there yet. You see, so the oh, hips, okay. the hipsters, and and then they lead the trend. Okay, so they're starting to wear like they're just trying to look like uh, in the eighties, basically, or like Stone Roses or something. Late, late, late eighties. Twisting my melons. Um. Well, for a cent- oh, I don't want to say his name, but my the music video that I filmed. Okay, yes, yeah. The uh, front man from that particular band hmm. was wearing clothes that he never ever would have worn. Oh. Uh, even a few years ago, but okay. because uh, he's decided he wants to be in with the uh, in with the in with, crowd. Uh, yeah. He's uh, completely changed his attire and is wearing sneakers with jeans and stuff like that. And oh. uh, I was somewhat flabbergasted to see. Well, this. he is in an indie band. Yeah, so. yeah. Doesn't mean you have to just. Oh no, definitely not. Yeah, 
Definitely not. Oh, I wouldn't be doing that. Well, I know you, Rob. I know you. You You've can't, got you can't same wear jeans. sneakers with bloody uh, Jerry Seinfeld. That's a terrible Jerry look. Jerry Seinfeld. Because I put out the Top 10 Sportsman podcast last week of uh, of all time ah, when yeah, you were yep, away. Yep. So I did the repeat of that. And I saw your list. You had some crossovers yeah. in there. Yeah, there was a couple of crossovers. Obviously, there's the greatest sports people of all time. Yeah. There's always going to be crossovers. You hope so with two fairly well-educated people. But my issue with the ESPN guy that was presenting mm. suit with white trainers. Suit with white trainers. Yeah. What is Bingo presenting? What are you talking about? So why we got offended and why we started debating the top 10 sports people of all time. Yeah. What sparked that off was ESPN came out with this list of the top five greatest athletes of all time. So the guy that was presenting suit white trainers. Well, I mean, this is uh, something uh, that you just can't do. That's a major fashion faux pas. You you cannot wear a suit with trainers full stop. You shouldn't. Uh, It's only really sort of like the hip-hop crowd might do it. And and they do it because it's part of their culture. Oh, yes. No, no. No, no, but if they do, yeah. and, and they, they might wear training something like that, and it's a terrible look. It is a terrible very, look. Very, very bad look. I know me and you are on the wrong side of 40, Rob, but yeah. I'm thinking it's a terrible look. It's a terrible look. I, I'm heavily anti-trainers, by and large. Well, no, I'm I'm not going to out this person. Because the next uh, thing is sweatpants. <laughs> now, I'm not going to out this person. They don't even know me, but I was flicking through. Somebody put some... Um, uh, it was their wedding anniversary, right? Mm. So it was throwback to, or, you know, what, what's it called? Um, this time six years ago, you were yep. getting married, right? Yep. The groom, grey suit, yep. three-piece suit, yep. red Converse All-Stars. Terrible. It looked awful. The, I've got to be it's, honest. It's, I mean, that that should just, someone in the family should be able to grab hold of it and just say no. You yeah. just, you don't do that. No. You're but they were the groom. Down. That was the groom, Rob. Terrible. It wasn't a good look. It's just like well, you're a 13-year-old or something. <laughs> Don't even know if you're that. But, yeah, red Converse All-Stars with the grey uh, three-piece I thought, oh, come on. I, I really despise it, actually, you know, especially when they do something like that. I remember one of my, um, my friend Mal. And uh, I, I told her straight to her face one time. She, we were getting ready to go out as they were all living in the same house together. And she was living with us for a time. And we're all. And she had like a good, a nice long sort of dress on, looked yeah, really yeah. good. And, and I was just about to compliment her. Oh, you look good. Look, you know, it's going to be a good night out. And then I just noticed that she had the Converse boots oh, on. Oh, wow. And so I just told her straight up said, Look, Mal, honestly, the dress looks great. And, and I was just about to compliment you on how great it looks. And then I saw your shoes. And I was like, that looks terrible. Oh. You should lose the shoes. She was mortified. Oh, no. But you upset people, Rob. No, no, no. I told her what you needed to hear. Yeah. I thought I was right. <laughs> like, you know, if, if I think if more people were more direct with that. Definitely. And um, I, I really helped her in the, in the long run mm. because she was just bringing the whole thing down. What? Why would you, if it's something you're starting to look quite feminine and, you know, really uh, a sense of glamour about it. And yeah. then you add this tacky teenage silly twist to try and show you're a bit quirky or something. Yeah. It just says you're trying to unnecessarily stick out in some way. Yeah, yeah. And you're not really that much of a character to warrant that. <laughs> and even if you are, if that's your idea of character, then I would suggest your whole direction is misplaced. Fair enough. Fair it's, enough. It's like people that think if they wear um, patterned socks... With this, with if they'd wear a suit to work, but they wear like some crazy pattern on their socks or something. Okay, but that's a little that's interesting. bit. But that's an edge. Well, weirdly enough, Rob, I've got. Um, they're plain socks. They're not plain socks. But but you don't count because no, you... look what's on them. Planes. Oh, they've got aeroplanes. They're plain socks. That's, see, they're plain socks. Jesus. I don't know why I bother half the time. 
It's well, not a good I mean, visual game. I, I don't radio. know why you bothered telling me, showing me that either, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I was watching TV last night, and it was a um, documentary about beavers. Mm. Right? It was the greatest damn show I've ever seen. Yeah, right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I, I know. I did get it. Is it better than Leave It to Beaver? Is it better than that? I don't know. I've never seen Leave It to Beaver. we got to thank, by the way, this is 365 Days Sport. we got to thank Jack Links, Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky on the planet. Thanks, Jack Links. Thanks, Jack Links. Mm. Um, we've got a bit of a special guest coming up a bit later on. If you're listening on the podcast, and I hope you're listening through good yeah. pods, yep. we thank you. It'll be the same as It'll always. It'll be the same as always. You no won't notice any difference whatsoever. Yeah. Could be the last ever Gags with David Boone. You ready? You've had enough, you think? Could I, be. I, I don't think we can go, yeah, it's only so much. <laughs> There's so, only so much we can take. We can take. I'm running out of ways to analyse it. It's been analysed. I don't think it's death. worth analysing to be. No, but that's honest. been the whole. That's the only reason I really listen to the joke. Or, so, so I can break well, it the, down. The problem is half the time you actually don't. But that I don't listen to the joke. Oh, I do drift off a bit, yeah. Yes, you well, do. Well, there's more interesting things going on in my life than... than <laughs> you know. I don't know if there is, actually. Yeah. You see, um, we don't often cover rugby league on this show, too often, but um, nah. a Newcastle Knights player who's taking a bit of time out of the game for concussion reasons at the moment, Yep, Kalen Pongo, he's called, mm. they got caught in a Newcastle pub. Actually, two of the Newcastle Knights players got caught in the same toilet cubicle. Right. Right? So the video has come out. Somebody took a video because security went in to get him out of there. Yeah. And as he opened the door, he went, oh, what a surprise. Two Newcastle Knights players in full clothes with drinks and everything. So yeah. who knows what they were doing in the in the toilet. Right. But Kalen Ponga's dad, Andre, comes out with this. He says, this was the excuse. He says, Kalen made an exciting house purchase on Saturday and he celebrated with a few mates having a few drinks. He got sick in the toilet and his mate went in there to help him. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds reasonable to me. I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. Yep. I think everyone's Done. bought that as yeah, the proper excuse for... Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, what, why why can't they just go to the toilet, you know, and um, away from the media? Um, I think the fact that because somebody had complained and security had gone in to find out what was going on, yeah. I think they video it nowadays just in case something so happens. So it's security videoing. Yeah. It wasn't but, mobile But phone. then how did the video get to the media? Because it was two Newcastle Jets, uh, Knights. Newcastle Knights players. Yeah, I but, think but was... the, so the person who took the video has then decided to give it to the media. Yeah. Why did they do that? Probably to make money, Rob. That's the bottom line for anything nowadays. You reckon they, they got paid a lot of money for, for the video? The footage? Yeah, I reckon they probably did. What do you, I, I want to know how much. Um, that information is not readily available, I don't think. But it's, I, I think it's important. It gives you an idea of how people go. And, and because it, for me, it's the only thing. Because really, the security guard has nothing to gain, personally. And if, all it does is, is sort of everyone gets annoyed. Yeah. And it's another thing for rugby league to deal with again. Yes. But unfortunately, they have a There's lot. There's some cracking rugby they, league stories this week. It's, it's quite unbelievable, the consistency of blowouts. Yes. They, but... but I don't think, actually, yeah. that they've increased. It's just simply that now the coverage is the yeah. coverage has increased. Yeah. So considering that this bloke is taking time out for concussion <laughs> issues, mm. having a few drinks, and possibly something else, probably not the best way to go about it. Yeah. Uh, the other one is from uh, Daniel Saluka Fafita. I'm not sure who Daniel plays for. He's got reprimanded for punching someone. He says, "I honestly just thought I was going to slap him." But I didn't realise my fist was closed, and I accidentally punched him. He's the reverse Will Smith. Yeah. So he um, he was just going to slap him, but he 
slapped him with a closed fist instead. Yeah. So I'm not sure who Daniel plays for, and if he was uh, concussed himself, he forgot he had a closed fist and punched a guy in the face. Yeah. Also, it's a tough one to buy that, isn't it? A little bit, mm. yeah. I think that was his defense at the tribunal. But and, uh, and then, So in that case, if it was just an open palm slap, they would have said, oh, that's okay. Then. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. you punched him. Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. Two games. And the other one that comes out of Europe, Toulouse halfback Corey Norman faces eight-game ban for allegedly sticking his finger up an opponent's bum hole. Ah, uh, back uh, Hopawari. Hopawari stop. Hopawari lives Says, on. Says uh, Toulouse halfback was put on report for the incident involving Warrington's... Now, what- yeah, do, are you reading an article there? Yes. So, so did they actually say bum hole in the article? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not very... Uh, I mean, that's not very... Uh... It's rugby league, Rob. Yeah, but you can use better terminology. Surely they should go to the actual technical term than saying, I don't want to even repeat it. Okay, well, don't repeat it. The no, no, are... but you know what I'm saying. I can't help it. But they should use medical, uh, you know, the anatomy sort of term. Not right. not bumhole beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, not bumhole. I mean, that, that, that just sounds like someone... I don't know, like what sort of four-year-old would say or something. Do you want just bum or ju- up the bum? No, no, no. In fact, that's the that's the part that's that I'm most against. It's the bum part. Oh. Get, that, get that out of it. So you want altogether. anus? I th- well, yes. It'd have to be something okay. like that. What other sphincter? Rectum? Rectum? One of those Sphincter's three. Sphincter's a bit deep. It, that's well, a long finger. Well, if, who knows? We have to be clear. <laughs> that's why we have to be clear. I would say bum hole's very vague. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say that on the show anymore. Okay, that, right. Stop saying it. The incident involved Warrington's Oliver Holmes during uh, Toulouse's 32-18 defeat. The Rugby Football League Chiefs have walloped the Australian with more severe grade F charge, which starts at an eight-match suspension and is open-ended for what is termed other contrary behaviour. However, details on his record state it is for inappropriate contact and... Um, the newspaper understands it is for trying to insert his digit where it was not wanted. Uh, Norman was caught on camera reaching between Holmes' legs as he made a challenge and was placed on report. Now the match review panels deemed it worthy of the most serious charge. Cusford's Kenny Edwards received a 10-game suspension for doing the same to Lee Catalan Sam Casano last year during his time at Huddersfield. So it's, it's rife! Mm-hmm. They haven't learned, have they, rugby league players? After um, the Hapuate from years ago. Did they need to learn in the first place? Uh, I oh, thought that's no. fairly uh, standard behaviour to, to not do that. Standard behaviour to not do that. Yeah, that's, that's right. my point. Yeah. Just, it was, I don't think Hapuate was sort of surprised when people were like, yeah, this probably wasn't a good look. Oh, what? I thought that was... <laughs> oh, I was just there. It was, it was also hilarious, awesome. Uh, I just think, my, my, if you're playing rugby league, you're wear jockstrap or your budgie smugglers, whatever, your swimming your, trunks. Your underwear. Then your, your compression pants and your shorts. It's quite... That's three layers to get through if you're going to try and do it. So it's well, not even well, worth it. Well, we don't know for sure well, that they're... True, true, true. Um, look, uh, are you suggesting that there's some merit in the feed if they can pen- no. penetrate that many layers? No, there's definitely no merit, no. Rob. I'm just saying it's a pointless exercise. At what point was there a point? There was no, no pun intended. No pun intended. Anyway, uh, it's three great stories from Rugby League just this week. Well done. We should probably cover Rugby League more often. So, so this is when they, they are, if I was to take their side, they'd say, well, there were probably other stories, Beef, but you focused on that. No. No, that was it. That was the story. That was the headline the three, news. There were headline news. From around the globe. From rugby league around the yeah, globe. okay, good. What more do you want? I um, bring the best, Rob. I actually probably want less. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, we normally do less. Yeah. But those three stood out this week. Did you hear about Kevin? No. He's in Australia too. 
spreading himself a bit thin. Yeah, everyone wants a slice of Kevin. Premium New Zealand beef. Jack Links, beef up your snack life. Hi, this is Nicholas Obekubel from the Philadelphia Flyers. This is 365 Days of Sports. Gags of David Boone, Rob. Potentially the uh, grand finale, is that right? I'm leaning towards that way. I'm not sure I'm ready quite to say farewell yet, Beef. Okay. And, and because cause I've had a premonition, and I think this is the one that will save Booney's skin. Okay. And it will be... that be a good one, then. It's going to be number 325. Trois okay. de cinq. Trois That's the one. Okay, sausages, Rob. Steve was a very good footballer with a beautiful wife named Debbie and a seven-year-old son named Nathan. Now, Nathan was a very good rugby player in his own right, but his parents were a little concerned because, while in every physical way he was fine, they were concerned about his rather small appendage. Steve knew how cruel footy dressing rooms could be. Better to go to the doctor now than wait till the kid was older and more impressionable. After examining Nathan, the doctor said confidently, Just give him plenty of sausages. Any kind will do. They'll solve the problem. Next morning, when the boy came down to breakfast, he saw there was a huge pile of snags in the middle of the breakfast table. Wow, Mum, are they all for me? No, they're not, Debbie answered. Two are for you, the other twelve are for your dad. Oh, no, Beef. Oh, Rob. No, no, That's one of Booney's better ones. No, no, Misdirection. There's misdirection in everything from Booney. That's not good at all. (laughs) Terrible. You mean terrible? Um, well, first of all, I mean, I mean, obviously, it's Joe not taken seriously, but very poor joke. advice from the doctor. I mean, it's, a, it's not good for your heart eating all sausages. Oh, you can get heart smart sausages, and, and I, I'm not sure what the scientific basis is for <laughs> for sausages potentially uh, increasing uh, the growth. I'm, I'm pretty sure there is. Uh, there's yeah. no um, scientific evidence that sausages make your appendage larger. I, I just want to say this now, uh, everyone, while I was off here, that was not my premonition, 325. Beefy told me to say that so because he thought it was a good one. I thought it was a good one. It, it's actually, it's signed, sealed, delivered, death warrant is what it is. Fair enough. Uh, Booney, I'm not disagreeing Booney's with that. on the guillotine and I, he just, it's just chopped the rope and it's fallen. Yeah, pardon the pun. All right, on this day in sports history, happy birthday, Jeff Thompson. Tomo. Yeah, if you're listening, Jeff, happy What's birthday. The, the August the 18th today, or something? August the 16th, actually. 16th. So Jeff was born in 1950, 72. 72. Who else is there? Oh, there's a lot of nobodies on this list. Oh. Uh, Hungarian swimmer, Christina <laughs> Egazegi. Oh, she I knew it was unbelievably up shares her birthday on the same day, year and everything, Shivnarine Chanderpaul! Oh, I put it, I, I said his name not so long ago in the quiz, Shivnarine Chanderpaul. Happy birth, happy 48th birthday, Shivnarine, if you're listening. Um, Open stance. Chinese diver Fu Mingjia. That's her, it's, pos- I don't even know if that's male or female, I'm going to be honest. So, yeah, well, happy uh, birthday, we'll all been Fu, waiting for it. If, uh, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. And Paraguayan soccer striker, Roque Santa Cruz, don't as know. well. Happy birthday, yeah. Roque. Sammy Trimble is also his birthday, but I think Sammy's no longer with us. But anyway, there you well, go. Well, that, that was a very poor list. There's lots of people who I've never heard of. Right. Argentinian tennis player Jose Luis Clerc. Don't know. Anyway, no. doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, honestly, if, if it was May 25th uh, or whatever, what's your birthday again? 
May 29. You, Ray, have you on in there? Have you had a check? I'll tell you I what. Mean, but judging this, by the basis... If this was the list for May 29, I would be in this book. <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, what else happened on this uh, day in history? 1948. Uh, Do you reckon you'd be in there as a, as, as a cricketer or as world's biggest sports fan? Oh, my cricketing career wasn't... Uh, it was very underwhelming. Uh, Babe Ruth died. He was only 53 in 1948. Died on this day, Rob. He had it coming. He did. He was a big fella. He was not healthy. Um, if you see the uh, ESPN list, he's in the top five greatest athletes of all time. Have you ever seen pictures of Babe Ruth? Yeah. He's a unit. He's portly, yep. He was portly, so mm. athletes. But, but, well, I mean, you're playing on the word athlete there. It doesn't, it doesn't actually mean you have to be of slender build. I mean, no, 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 true, because number five for me in the greatest athletes of all time mm. is Phil, Phil Taylor. Of course, yeah. I mean, he is really should be higher. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, this is the thing, because when people describe one's build as athletic, yeah, it's very vague. True. Well, it uh, is very vague. But based on those two examples right there. Yeah. Phil Taylor possibly is the greatest individual sportsman of all time. Yeah. You see, that I hear that, I just get angry. <laughs> it does wind people up. I'm, I'm unimpressed by a flick he, of the wrist. 16 times world champion, mm. 16 times world match play champion. Phil Taylor. Not having it. Won three or four, but three world titles after the, the age of 50, Rob. The, the, but you've got to take into account the actual sport itself and how hard it is. And, and uh, oh, oh I'm, I'm not good at it. Exactly. But, uh, but in terms of, no, I think it's more the measure of effort. Oh, I, I, but the, the, the thing is, you can genuinely have a pint and do it at the same time. Not anymore. No, you can. You used to be able to. You, you're actually not allowed to. I now. tell you what, if you want some funny vision, if you want Muhammad to pass Ali some time. Muhammad Ali is never going to be bouncing around the ring having a beer. True. Although that would be funny. Um, if you ever watched World Darts Championships from the 80s, it is the funniest vision you'll ever see because there are tables full of pints. Yeah, and they're chips, smoking chips, away. Hot, hot no, chips. there's no food, Rob. Come on, these are professional athletes. Yeah, draw the line there, right? Beers like mountains of beers. Yeah, and tabbing away constantly. <laughs> Very <laughs> case funny. in point. Brilliant. Case in point. Uh, what else? Seven. Nineteen eighty-one on this day, the Eller brothers make history. Gary, Glenn, and Mark became the first set of three brothers to be selected on an Australian International Rugby Tour when they went uh, to the old British Isles. Mark Eller became the first player to score a try in each test against the home nations as the Wallabies claimed the first ever Grand Slam. In 1992, Nick Price of Zimbabwe became the eighth foreign-born PGA champion, scored a three-stroke victory over John Cook, Gene Sowers, Nick Faldo and Jim Gallagher at Belle Reve. CC near St. Louis, and the first international match to be played indoors happened on this day in 2000 when Australia beat South Africa by 94 runs at Telstra Dome or Colonial Stadium as it was then. Steve Waugh got 114, not eight. Colonial Stadium. When Dockland Stadium or Etihad or yeah, Marvel, Marvel, as it's now known, when that originally uh, opened, it was called Colonial Stadium. And they played an indoor one-day international Yeah, day. I think they played New Zealand as well. Yeah. That's when Matt Sinclair took that unbelievable ah, one-handed catch. Right. That was at uh, okay. that stadium. Uh, in 2003, the All Blacks Complete their first Tri Nations clean sweep, beat Australia twenty one seventeen with a rain at a win at a rain swept Eden Park. Doug Howlett scored two tries. Carlos Spencer kicked three penalties. George Smith scored for the Wallabies. And in two thousand and eight, Michael Feltz finished brilliantly tying Mark Spitz with his seventh gold medal by the narrowest margins in hundred meter butterfly at Beijing. One hundredth of a second. Oh, Serbians filed a protest, and Fina had to review the video. Wow, that is quite interesting. Mm. 
Uh, and in 2009, Zimbabwean batsman Charles Coventry scored 194 off 154 balls against Bangladesh, which equaled the, le- the then highest score in a one-day national. Tamin Iqbal's match-winning 154 guarded Bangladesh to an unbelievable win. So well done, Bangladesh and Zimbabwe put on a great... Tamin Iqbal. He used to hit it hard. Now, there is some cricket news that is quite amazing, right? Mm. The ICC have shortlisted three players for the Men's Player of the Month for July 2022. Johnny Bairstow, because he scored mountains of runs. Yep. Prabath Jayasuriya from Sri Lanka. The third player nominated is Gustav McKeown of France. Fra- oh, French? I thought he might have been that Romanian guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's never going to do anything. No. Right. Do you know why Gustav McKeown has been nominated for the Player of the Month? Um, he's averaged 350. Near enough. Yeah. Just days after becoming the youngest man to score a 2020 international century, teenage opener Gustav McKeown rewrote the record books yet again by being the first batter to score back-to-back centuries in 2020s. Mm-hmm. McKeown playing his just his... Playing against who? McKeown playing in his just his third 2020 international backed up his 61 ball 109 against Switzerland with 101 off 53 balls against Norway. Come on. It is the 2024-2020 World Cup European sub-regional qualifiers Group B, Rob. It's important. Doesn't count. It was in Finland. <laughs> his innings was laced with five fours, eight sixes, and he reached 100 off 51 balls. McKeon almost single-handedly carried France's batting, taking his side to 158 mm. for eight. The next best score being uh, Langeswaren Kanasane's 15. That was the second highest score. Mm-hmm. If that wasn't enough, McKeon then um, took three for 27. So what I can gauge from that is he might be like some kind of cricketer who's basically playing against people that may as well be blind. And that's how that's I happened. don't think it's quite that bad. Well, then how but... come everyone else is so bad and he's excelled so much? Well, I think because he's an outlier. skill level is very the, low. The other strange thing about this is I have looked this guy up. He's actually born in France as well. He's actually a Frenchman. Well, that's impressive. It is. Although he's got his surname McKeon, so he's probably could be a Kiwi. But Gustav, a bit weird anyway, with scores of 76, 109... 101 in his first three innings as a 2020 international player. Mm -hmm. He now is the top run scorer ever by a batsman in his first three innings. Um, He broke the record of Portugal's Azar Andani, who had 241 runs in his first three innings. So he's currently averaging 95.33 in 2020s with a strike rate of 170. So uh, he's going quite well. And 95. Unbe- yeah, he's averaging. And then he followed it up with a, another 50 in his fourth game. So he is absolutely flying, old Gustav. I wonder what his lineage is, whether he qualifies for anyone anyone else. He probably does. We don't need to be racist, Beefy. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be racist. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just wondering, because he's an associate player. He's obviously looking ahead. So whether he might he might go and play for Holland. I don't know, Rob. I know. I'm not being, I'm not being racist about it. <laughs> I think as well, in his three games, I did read another article about, I think he's also just beaten Shahid Afridi, possibly, in, in a three-game span of runs over three 2020 internationals. But I'm, that's not in this report. Yeah, but it's still just playing against Switzerland and that. Uh, I mean... If he's French, what, what, I, I what else see, is he going to do? I want to see what the bowling's like. I oh, want to okay. see if it's anything's coming through at a decent click, if it's if they even find a line and length, or if they're just bowling and basically throwdowns. Okay. 
that's life, Robbie. You can only get what gets thrown at you. No, but do you know how people go on about, oh, wasn't that when them at time when Singapore beat Hong Kong 169 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, Well, who cares? Doesn't it matter? When I played in England last time around 2004, we had a guy that played for our third team yep. who used to play for France. Put it that way. See? I know. I know. I reckon I could play for France. All right. Or maybe not now. Not now. Yeah. I probably could have back then. I should have. Should have dug out my French heritage. Yeah. Just, got and played for the French. Well, you already played for Wales. Well, no, Wales it doesn't exist as a qualifier, so I could have nipped over the border. Probably could have played for Holland, to be honest. Yeah? Yeah. It's Chove jumping there somewhere. I'm going to face it. I should have played for England. Yeah, really? Yeah, but I wouldn't have. Just out of honour. Um, no way. That's The most annoying yeah. thing is if you look me up, if you look up my player profile yeah. on Crick Info or whatever, yeah. Yeah. it actually says Blake, comma, KPJ, England. Uh, it does. <laughs> Genuinely does say that. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Hey, bro, if we were on a desert island and there wasn't any grass. No grass? Would you eat me to survive? Oh, bro, who'd eat a cow? Premium New Zealand beef. Jack Leagues, beef up your snack life. Hi, I'm Jeff Fennick, and this is 365 Days of Sport. We have a special guest. We did announce it uh, top of the show. We're going to be joined by Matt Hookins, who's unbelievably written, starred in, produced, mm-hmm. organised all the funding for brand new film called Prize Fighters. Just come out on Amazon Prime. I know both me and you have seen it over the past few days. Mm-hmm. Absolutely honoured. Because this man not only has had a slash in between Brad Pitt and Michael Fassbender, didn't even know it. <laughs> he's now becoming more famous than Newport's own transporter bridge and the mole wrench put together. His new film, Prize Fighter, like I said, he wrote it, he starred in it, he got it funded, he produced it. He's playing the lead role, but he also convinced Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. Martin Crowe's cousin, Rob. He is Martin, Martin Crowe's cousin. cousin. Don't forget that. And Ray Winston to be in it as well. Welcome to 365 Days of Sport, Matt Hookings. Thanks, Matt, for joining us. I really, really do appreciate you spending a bit of time with us. Wow, that's a, that's an amazing intro. Thanks for having me. That's, uh, <laughs> oh. that's very kind of you. Thanks. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. Mate, I've read a bit more about prize fighter tell us how long it's taken you to get from the first inkling of an idea to actually getting it on amazon right now i mean it was a bit of a long process i believe yeah man oh, do you know what I, I thought it was 10 years and i went back recently wow. and i found the first email draft i sent which was 12 years ago so um it's been a one hell of a slug Jeez. um i was actually i was actually filming on a russell crowe film i was doing some stunt work and um that's where the you know the idea came this gentleman came up to me and basically thought i was i was my dad who was a ex british heavyweight champion in the 80s and there was this article about my dad in this newspaper and next to it was this story about john belcher and that's i just just ignited it from it just yeah it's been a it's been a bit of a crazy um obsessive for, for 10 to 12 years you know <laughs> feeling very relieved it's out there now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, obviously the job doesn't stop when it comes on tv like you have to do things like this and uh, kind of get down to our level matt but uh, uh, in terms of that i am from newport as well now, this, I, is, this is the fun stuff oh good <laughs> good I, i'm from newport as well i know about your dad i was a big fan of dave bomber pierce or uh, newport's rocky as we like to know him now we had john aldridge on the show the other week and people don't realize this is when you used to go to Somerton Park to watch Newport County in the 80s, 70s and 80s, the very last house of a block right on the corner, about 20 yards away from the turnstiles, was what was affectionately known as the Boxer's House. Now, that's where 
Matt's dad, David Pierce, and all his brothers, all the family used to live. And when we used to go and watch Newport County on a Saturday, all the family used to be kind of out in the garden and watching everyone and saying hello. It was amazing that the Pierce family, Newport royalty nowadays, it was just legendary, Matt. I mean, you must have been absolutely honoured to grow up in that environment. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird one for me because I was, you know, I was young when he passed away. And, and that, that's a story I didn't know about. The great thing about this film is I'm finding so much out about my dad that I didn't know about because, you know, Ray, Ray Winston knew him. And, you know, everyone has a story from us on a, I was on talk sport the other day and you know some guy was like he pe- played pool with my dad at 14 in, in a pub you know just all these crazy things that i'm finding out you know i was i was very young so i, I grew up you know not knowing too much about what he what he what he'd done and what he'd achieved um it's a bit of a whirlwind now because a lot of this is is sort of i'm almost reliving my childhood in some ways <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's pretty mind-blowing in that sense you know things things and you know, what, what people are telling me it's it's, uh, it's a bit crazy i talked to your cousin luke kind of a while back i mean he went through the whole process of finding out a bit of information about about your dad and he said he went to the library in newport which is i mean it's not the 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 most auspicious of libraries but he went to ask them to find out more and more information about dave and basically they said they had nothing apart from one photo and you're talking about a british champion you know fought for the european championship and unfortunately lost in france but i mean in regards to that and then luke set out thought well we've got to change this because the people in newport need to know more about bomber and newport's rocky and everything else and it just amazes me that Newport had no information about a British champion, and there you are, I know it's a different age, trying to research uh, more information about a boxer from the late 1700s. I mean, it just doesn't add up. Yeah, no one's, no one's actually touched on that. That's a really good point. I mean, you know, when I, when I was doing all the research on Jem, you know, youngest ever champion at 19, blind at 22, he was dead by the time he was 30. And he basically was that, you know, he was, he was the Muhammad Ali of his time. He spoke differently. He, you know, wore eccentric clothing way ahead of his time, used the skill and the technique of the jab to beat his opponents, which just unheard of during the, the late 1700s. <laughs> so I, I was fascinated as well by the fact that no one knew. I mean, no, you know, diehard boxing purists didn't really know too much about him either. So it was, um, I, 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 you know, I too found myself, I was in the library, in the British Library for two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> just, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a, again, so many similarities of forming between like this and, you know, my dad and all this kind of weird side, let alone doing, you know, a boxing film <laughs> with, mm. uh, with these people tied to him as well. It's, uh, it's a bit of a crazy experience. And, you know, part of the journey with my story is, you know, telling every side of it because there's loads of different angles to, to kind of, you know, to kind of talk about it, um, for ages on it. It's, it's, it's quite fascinating. I'm just, I'm still kind of sinking it all in. It's not, it's not really hit home because I went from filming straight to post. And then Amazon wanted to release it um, in July, so it went from you know from post production straight into PR. So it's been uh, it's been a been a bit of a wild one, yeah. Yeah, and there, there must have been times. Obviously, twelve years is a very very long time. You've taken on writing, starring, and uh, and, and producing. It's the times, or how many times rather, throughout that time did you sort of sit back and and just consider whether you might be slightly mad? Oh man, if I, I say this quite openly and quite, you know, extremely honestly, I never got one yes. Every single yeah, yeah. person said no for twelve years. Mm-hmm. Sales agents, distributors, no one, no one understood it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone said no for so long. I used to, um, 
when I started training as a boxer, when I when I realised I wanted to play the part, and there was all these similarities with myself and Jem. You know, he died on my birthday. Um, we shared the same mum's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's crazy. The last fight, obviously, is with Henry Pierce, who was from Bristol. It's the same last name as my dad's. Mm-hmm. All these things started happening. So when I made that decision to go right, actually, I, I, think, I think I need to do this. It's not something I want to do or doing it for the ego side of being an actor and a, you know, and a lead film. I just, I just felt like this inner urge to play this part, and I thought it was the best thing for it. And I remember, I remember going training down the boxing gym. This is like four or five years ago, coming home, you know, battered, bruised, broken nose, you know, as many things as you can have by training with professional world-level uh, fighters. And everyone just thought I was crazy. They were like, what are you doing? You're training, beating yourself up, getting destroyed for a film. You don't know if it's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to get to play the mood. Everyone's saying no. Yeah, I used to go into meetings in Cannes with, like, black eyes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you stay clear of any handball game matches, you know. <laughs> yeah, still get thrown out. Um, so, yeah, man, it, it, it kind of kept me going, though. That's the weird thing. I've got this personality where if someone says no, if I really, really believe in it, then it, it urges me on to do more. And then the boxing training was that kind of, like... Splice of oh, you know, adrenaline and release. So every time someone said no, I'd get in a ring and <laughs> and release my frustration. And man, I had sales agents and distributors up to the last minute. Even when I had Russell Crowe attached, saying they couldn't come on board because they didn't think you know the film would do this amount much in mm-hmm. pre-sales or whatever maybe. And you know, every result has just blown that out of the water in terms of what we ended up doing. So I, I say this: I, I didn't just get every, you know, I didn't just get a couple of no's. There's not once where someone said yes. <laughs> so All I had right. to kind of force it basically and just get it to a point where you know instead of relying on, on sales agents or distributors or people that are not even looking to script or the project i had to get it in front of people like russell and ray mm-hmm. who actually then start dictating you know the nature of the industry and, and people's involvement and i say this so much because people say to me how, how did you end up playing the lead and didn't anyone question it and it you know was questioned so much but <laughs> it, i just put myself i made sure that i had every single bit of information mm-hmm. in my mind so i just couldn't be replaced you know from the writing to the cast to the relationships with the crew you know i hired you know I had so much crew that I'd worked there for so long. So, you know, if I go, they go. So just all these different things. I uh, brought in some personal money as well. Friends helped me out. So, yeah, I just I just put myself in a position where I had every single bit of information. And I remember one of the financiers laughing a couple of months before we shoot. He said, look, I can't replace you now, even if I wanted to. Even if we put someone super famous <laughs> in the wall, <laughs> we can't do it because you have all the information. Yeah. <laughs> ah, you got to make yourself indispensable. Yeah. That's the, uh, the, the old uh, crux of the matter, isn't it? Well, you know, I think I would love to have done the, the old way that maybe Sylvester Sloan did where he just said no I'm playing the lead and that's it but you know even when people sniffed the fact that I wanted to play the lead they were just gone they just you know stopped answering their emails even, even I remember when we when, when I had Russell Crowe I remember emailing one sales like, saying I've got Russell and Ray now and all this other amazing cast still came back and said are you playing the lead and I said yes and I heard from them so oh. you know it just kind of <laughs> had to eat a couple of things like that Was it another layer of complexity once you sort of you started uh, I mean costuming and those and locations start coming into things that it's a pair period piece you know was that another challenge yeah it was um and you know trying to make a film during covid where everyone was still oh, right. sort of um yeah. nervous full of anxiety on it that that just yeah, didn't yeah. help and you know i managed to i managed to want to choose a bloody period piece with a-list talent but on an, on an independent budget with an independent scale with no you know no support from any of the uh, film institutions it just everything was in the, in, in favor in that and you know you throw in the boxing and the action and the horses it just becomes even more challenging are you a little bit disappointed in a way matt that it is on amazon and not in the cinemas like it is a dramatization and is the scenery is fantastic and like you said there's horses and there's authenticity to 1800s boxing it would would have been fantastic on a big screen you know what yeah i am i'm not afraid to say it. I, I am disappointed because um i just 
think there could have been so much more if we had a bit more time there could have been so much more done for it you know i had, had an amazing amount of pr and stuff that i wanted to do with russell and you know all these different connections to people that would have just blown this up you know i'm not saying it hasn't blown up but would have just really taken it to another level because you know a combination between the mix of my connections with my dad and I was doing this tour with Tyson Fury, showing the trailer to thousands of people every night. And then a week, actually a, a week before the Amazon release, a massive cinema chain emailed me and said, you know, we've seen the film, we've seen a screener and here's an offer. And they offered us a 75 day theatrical release. Oh, wow. And then, you know, it could have, which, which is huge, like for the yeah. UK and the US. Uh, and God, I just couldn't get anyone to, I couldn't, couldn't persuade anyone, you know emailed amazon they've got all their you know right algorithms and schedule it was just you know mm -hmm. that would have been great because we've had a proper premiere and done loads of stuff you know we'd have had a proper amount of time to and um, to make it bigger basically and, and have it have it done properly and it's one of those films i say this a lot but it's one of those films where if you play it really loud in a cinema it just is about experience it's just mm -hmm. there's sometimes you can watch on netflix and you can watch it in the cinema and you kind of get the same thing this is just one of those films where if it's watched in the cinema loud, no distractions it'll just be a bad experience is that something for the film industry in general Matt that you know you hear, hear a lot of talk about it with people still actually physically wanting to go to the cinema and, and watch and, and, and the, the battle with the stream is it, and also synchronised releases that near enough these days are coming out is it something that you're concerned might be a permanent long term transition or and perhaps theatres might just become sort of a, a niche thing for, for premieres or what, what are your thoughts I yeah I don't know I think um, I, I really like streamers I think you know streamers are great and you know they're pumping money into lots of different stuff but I, I just you know I still think the need for cinema is there and it depends like their motivation Amazon they weren't really bothered about what I could do on the PR side you know mm -hmm. and I had like if I told you the PR stuff I had you know we had one celebrity who had over I think it was over 20 million subscribers on different platforms I wanted to line up an interview with, with Russell Crowe and this celebrity and they just didn't see it as like yeah this doesn't mean anything we've got a certain date we need to go and that's right. it so I, I do like the streamers but I don't they shouldn't um dictate they shouldn't fall into the algorithm oh it fits our schedule stage because mm -hmm. you know once in a while this these projects come along where you know someone like myself has got you know 10 years behind it and, and got all this useful resources to drive more people to the platform i think you know they need to just and they've got you know all the money in the world and the you know they're paying a lot of money to have the film but it's just like you know it sort of justifies them getting behind it a bit more but um <sighs> On another side, it just you know if there's, if they've got so much content, releasing mm. stuff every bloody day or every week, you know how you, you can't convince them to, to change their um, perception on that. It's slightly different. Matt, you took on a lot with this film. <laughs> Obviously, you organised the funding. It took you ten years to sort it out. You acted in it. You wrote it. You produced it. You were acting in it for I believe twelve to fourteen hours a day. Would you do that again? Uh, no, I'd never do it again. <laughs> 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 it killed me, man. Honestly, I'm a quite a strong-minded person. I don't have any responsibilities of children or houses or anything like that. So, I, you know, if it was any other responsibility, I would—I don't think I'd be in that seriously. Because you know, I went through so many—I went through panic attacks, anxiety, like in and out of different places. My my body's battered. Yeah, it, it was too much. I mean, look, it could have been a lot easier. And let's say I had, you know, the support of one of the film institutions, a big streamer or a studio got behind it from get-go and really supported it. Then yes. It would have been a much better experience, but um, 
in a weird way, it was separated, right? So I spent so long writing the script. Once the script was written, mm. I became a beneficial factor in that because having the writer on set was, you know, I was able to kind of, if Ray wanted to change something or the cast wanted to do something, I was able to quickly change it or tell them, yes, that works or no, it doesn't work because, you know, someone said that yesterday or whatever. So that was beneficial. And, you know, the acting side, I, I hope, you know, I hope it doesn't show in the performance how bloody stressed and, uh, <laughs> and anxious I was throughout the whole process. But, you know, the producing side, you just, you just, need more support man you know i i went to wales we wanted to film this all in wales why wouldn't you yeah i'm standing you know i'm standing in a in an office building that's empty that we're paying for i'm telling you know a representative on the phone to creative wales who's basically said yes for three years that they're going to help fund and support the project Mm -hmm. i'm telling a representative on the phone that i'm looking at my dad's statue across the road outside this office window i've got russell crowe coming we want to spend millions in wales <laughs> Ray Winston's going to be there, and they just couldn't support it. They, they couldn't give us any support, um, and you know we, we were asking for a very, very small amount of support. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that really needs to change because they don't realise the impact that that had on you know just myself and my personal thought process and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know, man. Yeah, I would never do it again unless you know unless there was real support behind me. And you know it, it's weird because you know when you when you figure out all these, I, I used to be these people that would just watch a film and you can't judge what's, ha- what's happened behind the film. You just watch the film. And no one really cares about all the, the heartache or whatever, whatever you went through to make the film. But, you know, that's just people have to know that because it changes your opinion. And also it changes the future as well. You know, I don't I don't, I don't want you know a lot of the stuff I'm talking about now is about how there needs to be more support in place. And people can't, you know, this can't happen to someone else. Because if this happens to someone else, they just, you know, it's, you know, like I said, I was in some really difficult places of, mm-hmm. you know, waking up with panic attacks and anxiety. I didn't know if the film was going to happen or, you know, being told the film's going to be shut down. So mm-hmm. I think there's support really needs to be there for yeah. um, you know for things, things going in the future and well, then you I, can make better things you know you can, you can make things greater if you have the, the support behind it I think most of that anxiety and stress um, uh, Matt got filtered into the exactly the part of the film when Jem starts on his uh, downward spiral and he's into alcoholism and that sort of thing so I think that all you synchronise that perfectly mate in case you're wondering if it manifested <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll accept that <laughs> <laughs> Matt you started in the industry as a, as a stuntman and I, I've read that you basically didn't want to get into boxing of any form because of what happened with your dad now taking up being a stuntman you know how did you get involved in that or pardon the pun did you just fall into it well so look i started as an extra i started as a background artist and um i came out of university i'd studied film and drama and i had I, you know i always had the love for the acting background you know a couple of opportunities came up where i'd be a background artist but i would i would get into a core group and get closer to the stunt guys and you know oh he knows how to sword fight or he knows how to have the right reaction so you know i did that for a little while and, and built up a really good level of connections and then started doing stunt work off the back of that and i would just do like i would be called in for five or ten days if some stunt guys were you know were finishing or going on to another job and you know i was very much a like a you know last minute replacement kind of thing but i always end up doing more I, I remember i remember being called in from maleficent i think it was for five or ten days and i ended up doing 55 days working very closely with with angela jolie and you know so i got to see the world of filmmaking on a, on a major scale i did i did some crazy like 30 productions you know hollywood productions in a very short space of time so i learned whatever did you know i chose the right moments to build connections with people and walked away with some some amazing connections one being steve dent who's a massive stunt coordinator who ended up helping and facilitating and getting russell and ray and we filmed that his farm all this kind of stuff and you know one of the closest people to me and to the project 
so but there was a point where i just went you know what i've, I've if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna stick with it and just carry on you know earning some money and doing the stunts and it's great or do i stop it now have i learned everything i think i've learned and do i want to go back into what my real passion is and that's the acting the performing making stuff myself and i just you know everyone everyone bit my head off because it was just like what are you doing you're turning down you know good money every day to go and basically set up a production company on your own spend your money and make short films so mm. that's what i did you know that's what i did and, and i just i started making stuff and making short films they got better and better you know went through from that and obviously you know took the contacts that i built in the stunt world and the uh, experience kind of put that in, into one and you know there was times on prize fight where me and steve would have a conversation you know we talk about some other people that were on set and he would just say matt you've got to remember you know how many times have i been on set and steve's obviously been doing this forever so he's been on set thousands of times and even through the time that we worked together on the stunt stuff you know you've, you've been on set a couple hundred times versus people that have been on set three or four times you know you just you just learn more because you've just done it more basically so um that was it i just became fascinated in in knowing what everyone's everyone did and building up the right connections and then and then you know started thinking god they're spending 100 million but the film's not ended up good or i think maybe you know the director wasn't that good or maybe this could be better and you know just build up the connections from there basically yeah now talking about reviews and things you said about you know films may not be that good do you read your reviews or you know how would you cope with uh, let's say an indifferent review i mean because me and rob get really bad reviews for this show regularly <laughs> so um do, do you go to that <laughs> yeah. edge of uh, where you're at to uh, improve your craft uh, look i used to, i used to love bad reviews right i've I made i've made five feature films in five years and the first film i made you know it became quite popular in america but the reviews were terrible mm-hmm. and i used to laugh and i used to really i used to look for the bad reviews because i'd enjoy mm-hmm. reading them just because it's funny to hear people say stuff that was either on point or what i thought of or just something something that i wasn't thinking about mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i used to love it I, I did go in a bit of a whirlwind a couple of weeks ago with this and the reviews because you know i was much more closer to it and i had a very up and down experience because if reviews are bad reviews are bad mm-hmm. kind of take them as, as you as you will in that sense but with this it was a bit weird because i have one bad review and i wouldn't really understand it like how can they say russell crowe's bad or how can they say that, that this looks terrible or that looks terrible but those things you know i started questioning and didn't really understand and then you'd have a four-star review the next day which was like oh it's mind-blowing it's the best brief box of filmers and mm-hmm. so those things threw me off a little bit and it sent me in a bit of a you know i was a bit down because i was i was so close to the project so i didn't really you know i really wanted everyone to love it but mm-hmm. then things started changing i started having like all these random social media interactions and messages from just people from just real people mm-hmm. you know who are at home turn on, on the tv just watching the film you know i kind of came to the conclusion that critics don't really like it because they or some critics don't really like it because they see russell crowe they probably think a studio's behind it you know they probably think it's the budget is huge and and they're just judging it on that fact so they have to be more cynical but the people at home you know seem to really like it throw so many amazing comments about my performance and how certain things and then when you when you get into more detail and you realize god some of these people are actually analyzing it better mm-hmm. and more than the critics so i don't know i have a weird relationship with critics at the moment because i just don't know you know yeah. i don't know if we should take their thoughts you know with a pinch of salt because some of the yeah. stuff they said i've I mean, seen many of, like even if like a, a band's being reviewed for an album or something like that i've read of, of other bands and their take on it is in, in my mind completely wrong like they actually didn't even understand sometimes and, and this goes out past 
publicly. It's it's sort of it's some it's one of the yeah. the toughest things about critics, I think. Well, and like you know, my, my first film I just said I, that was terrible. You know, one company reviewed that better than Prizefire, and you just think it's not better than <laughs> Prizefire. Right. You know, it's just not, and it's so weird. But then you get, you get like a little spark. So like, came out in the UK, it was number one on Amazon for a couple of days, and then I think it might have been a week actually, and then the US side was like steam. And then what's happened now is it's dropped off Amazon in the UK, but the US are picking up popularity, and I think it's number three or something at the moment in the US. Right. And just today and yesterday, you know, the New York Times, which means a lot, that's a big, big, big mm. publication, mm-hmm. they listed it as one of the top five action films to watch right now. Oh, that's great, great, man. Congratulations, that's awesome. So, you know, you just got to take it with a pinch of salt, but I think I, I got kind of close to it mm-hmm. because of me being just... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> pretty, I'm pretty sure we can all agree you are pretty close to it, Matt. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I wanted, I just wanted, I wanted enough time so everyone could understand the story because if everyone understood the story it doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna love it but you know people that know the story and know the background with my dad and all these different things you watch that on fight and you just go okay, get what get why this guy is doing this and you know mm-hmm. even on the floor you know with me and henry pierce which is ricky you know people don't know that his dad's not alive he passed away my dad's not alive and during that moment we're talking to each other that you can't see or hear and we're saying like we're doing this for our dads and we're crying like we're literally we just had a fight we've just had a real fight all the punches are real Ooh. and we're crying because our dads are not alive during this thing and it's like that brings a bit of Jesus. you know brings a bit more heart into wow. it um, and it's just you know little things like that just like go oh, wow okay, now, now I could go back and watch that again mm-hmm. and go ooh that's a bit different yeah, and it's yeah. just a support you know it's an independent film it's not backed by a studio at all even though it's on Amazon it's, there's no backing by the studio and most of the work was basically done by me so it's like <laughs> yeah it's just <laughs> it's I mean, just a bonkers um yeah so when we knew you were going to come on i started having a look at some of the reviews and here's one in particular it says uh, because most of the reviews from what i've read are pretty similar but this one says prize fighter is a rollicking yarn with a side helping of emotional oomph which shines a welcome light on one of the most compelling figures from boxing's early history. Above all is a triumphant vindication of Hooking's remarkable devotion and desire to bring the life to the story of Jem Belcher, one of the greatest boxers who ever lived, and a man unjustly overlooked by the capricious nature of history. So, Matt, I mean, like I said, it is an independent film, and don't get me wrong, you're kind of a nobody in the industry, but to have that kind of review, it's bloody fantastic, the fact that somebody says this is a real biopic of something that has never been done before yeah i you know it's, it's bonkers i've had messages and people you know there, there was a bunch of stuff going out saying i should be the next james bond and certain things i was just laughing like, <laughs> the, 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 i know it's crazy the majority of people seem to understand and, and see the, the performance and the, you know the heart i've put into it um and you know if peter bradshaw at the guardian is reviewing five films a week he might not have time to watch the whole thing he might watch the first 20 minutes and know, know his decision straight away or it depends on people's time and how much they devote themselves to what they do so you know it, it's nice to have those comments and um you know like i said i really want to bring no one knew anything about it so the fact that this story exists on gem you know no, no one would have knew, knew anything about him unless this came about it. so you know it's it's tricky i think it's just going to be you know an up and down mm. process you'll get one review that's great and then you'll get another one that's not and, you know just comes from there basically yeah. hey this might be a weird question and i know you grew up in a boxing family but were you a boxing fan no no so obviously my dad basically passed away from 
boxing related injuries so this is why i was saying earlier i grew up and i was quite you know separate from that kind of the world and i wasn't a fan of talk at all yeah quite rightly because yeah. all i knew as a kid that my, my dad passed away from boxing mm. but when this started happening yeah i mean it, it's completely changed now i'm a massive, massive fan it's the number one bit of information i find that seems to in my life basically above, above music so massive fan now and just going through the <laughs> the trepidation of, of boxing itself and like you know actually becoming you know physically fit as a boxer and mentally and, and knowing like you know actually it's not about how hard you hit, it's about what you shouldn't get hit mm-hmm. all the movement and the skill involved and the mentality and the discipline and everything you just got the utmost respect for it and boxing is saving you know? yeah. it's like if I didn't want boxing, I, you know, I, I really don't think I'd, I'd be in a very different place. I'd probably be in a bloody, you know, in a hospital or something. Mm-hmm. Um, because the release of the stress and all the pumps that I had came when I was boxing. So, yeah, just, you know, it saved me in so many ways. One of my highlight moments, people keep saying to me, what's, what's the best moment of filming? And I'm like, actually, what? Actually, it was after filming going on tour with Tyson Fury, going all <laughs> around the country, and uh, just bringing a bit of, like, you know, humanity back into just, you know, having fun with those guys. So, yeah, I love boxing now. It's, it's massive. It's everything to me. I still train a lot as well. I'd love to have a fight as well at some point. Oh, we'd oh, we'll mm. be interested in that. Rob, <laughs> no, Rob, no, 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 Rob no, a few no years way. ago, was doing a bit of boxing training in a, a challenge on the show he actually went and had uh, an amateur fight so uh, that's that's why we're excited by that yeah I keep on getting pressed Francis and Joey again to, uh, <laughs> they, they think it's going to be the best experience to just kind of get it in my system and apparently I've got a similar similar boxing style to my dad Okay, in, oh. in the sense of a very comfortable fight <laughs> and a bit of a bruiser so <laughs> we'll see well I mean just to put it out there Rob wouldn't know but your dad's nickname in his early days was the animal um, he had very oh really no, I, see, I didn't know that I didn't you was bomber but okay yeah, he was David Bomber Pierce, but his his early fights, he was known as the Animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a very heavy fisted because uh, he wasn't a very he wasn't a big heavyweight. He was kind of only just fifteen stone, really. He wasn't you know one of these big guys, especially in the you know seventies and eighties. But uh, he, he used to hit hard. He really, really did. Yeah, well, he should have fallen into the cruiserweight yeah you know, division, really. Yeah, I but, think. Um, I mean, that was the plan before uh, they took his license away, wasn't it? To uh, drop back to to cruiserweight to challenge for a world title. But I mean, yeah, it's all gone. And gone. Hey, there's a few I'll great. Send some, uh, I'll send you some recreation pictures that I did with me and my dad. It's um, it's a bit crazy. You'll 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 yeah, you'll blow your mind yeah. that we did just before filming. Oh, amazing, amazing. There's some great Welsh boxing stories out there. People like Jimmy Wilde and Freddie Welsh. Um, would you ever do another boxing film again, or is it have you kind of done your dash? Uh... I don't know because it's a weird thing in the film. You want to get back and pitch a lot of boxing films recently. And it's like you're kind of the last thing I'm looking at at the moment. I, I do like the idea if this again, if the support is there, you know, of, of, of a spin off TV series, you know, with Russell Crowe, maybe Jack Slack, maybe go a bit before the period, maybe go after. There's also a women's, uh, a very exciting women's story to be told Ooh. so i like that i like that kind of spin-off piggy blinders-esque tv series which i've you know i've got a, i've got a, i've got a treatment and a, and a deck for it in that sense um but you know i, I would only do it if it was serious interest yeah. from like one of the studios or one of them you know one of the streamers to get on board and support so, it so certainly so like that, certainly you know, not, um, like, not, not like not not like prize fighter yeah, 2 like or something <laughs> <laughs> like rocky yeah, rocky I, I, I know, you know, if, yeah again if someone said to me right man we know what you've been through and god if you can do that on this with that budget like here's a little bit more and here 
years of support, then, you know, there's definitely amazing other stories to be told in the boxing world during that time. My brother would love me to play my dad because I look to spit an image of him and do that, you know, to tell his story. But at the moment, like, there's a couple of things circling around. I'm not, you know, I'm not super keen to just jump straight back into a, yeah, yeah. Into a boxing film because every, every film I've done for the last five years has been so different. It's been like drama or, you yeah. know, horror or thriller or a bit of an eclectic mix in that sense. So apart from becoming the next James Bond, Matt, what, what is next for uh, Matt Hookings? Yeah, well, at the moment, I'm I'm sort of uh, just cashing up on everything, and yeah. I, I I should be on a beach somewhere, but I haven't. Um, I'm still I'm still doing a bunch of stuff in the background with you know prize fire and PR, and um, I'm actually about to launch a podcast, which I think is going to be quite exciting. Don't That's do it! Don't do it, man! I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a weird one. I just I, I just want to do stuff that's like that I really like with good people rather than like doing it for you yeah. know this reason or that reason. So you know, and there's a couple of projects that's looking at, look, I'm looking at the moment. I start I'm starting to read scripts again on some of some of the things I've been you know offered to do or look at. I, I've got a I've got a mafia true story that um, that I've started writing. And I've got the option on the book, which I think would be incredible. But it's it's bigger than Prize Fire. You know, it's a true story about a police officer in the 1950s who was also working with. Mafia during this really texture time, and it was linked to the murder of JFK and all this kind of stuff. Ooh, so, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll focus on that. But um, at the moment, just you know, catching up on stuff basically, just making sure that everything's up to date and everything, and you know, catch up with some company stuff. And yeah, trying to breathe. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got to thank you for spending a bit of time with us. Um, absolute pleasure. It's good to uh, touch base with uh, some Newport heroes of, uh, of mine. And Rob's learning more and more about Newport on every show we do. So, like I said, mate, congratulations. Congratulations on Prize Fighter. It is an absolute triumph. I loved it. And Rob will tell you, I very rarely watch any film. So for me to watch it all the way through in one go is uh, is a personal triumph of mine as well. So, mate, we've got to thank you. And like I said, we wish you the best of luck with everything and everything you do. Good luck with being next James Bond. I'm, I'm in it. I, you know, I'm, I'll be out there spruiking for you. So, mate, in the great words of Ray Winston, be lucky, son. Be lucky. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you so much for uh, connecting. Uh, you know, Newport from Australia is crazy. So oh. Thank you so much. And, no, uh, mate. Like I said, uh, we're absolutely honoured you could uh, spend a bit of time with us. Catch Prize Fighter on Amazon Prime. If you've got a subscription, get your free subscription. It's a free month. You can watch Prize Fighter thirty times if you want for nothing. It is an absolute <laughs> joy. Thanks, Matt, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, man. Thank no you. Worries, hey, bro. If we were on a desert island and there wasn't any grass, no grass. Would you eat me to survive? Oh, bro, who'd eat a cow? Premium New Zealand beef. Jack Leagues, beef up your snack life. Hey, this is Toddy Goldsmith, and you're listening to 365 Days of Sport. Ah, that music can only mean one thing, apparently, Rob. I have to play it, but I'm going to have to kill it. Right. All right. I got, got a great quiz for oh, you. Oh, good. I'm glad you've got a great quiz. Uh, we got to thank uh, Matt Hawkins, by the way. Please watch his film. It is very good. I, yeah. I, I, well, I don't say that lightly. <laughs> All right. It is the quiz, people. We ask each other sports trivia questions. We ask each other three questions each. There are five potential points to be won off every question. So it is the most out of 15 wins. Mm-hmm. All right, Rob. Name any major league sports team that is based in Pennsylvania. There are seven teams in Pennsylvania, in America, that play either baseball, ice hockey, American football, or basketball. Pennsylvania. The Phillies. Philadelphia Phillies are one. Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles are two. Uh, what's their basketball team called? I should know this. 
Philadelphia Phillies. Dude, you haven't got the music this week to help you out, It all feels a bit empty. Philadelphia, the Philadelphias, the Philly, the Phillies, the 69ers. Very close. I date they'd be called the 69ers, though. 76ers. It is the 76ers. Oh. 69 That would be hilarious. I the 49ers, you know. Ah, yeah, yeah. That's um, and so then there's a hockey team. Yep. I'm not going to know that, though. Philadelphia Blades. Close. Blaze. No. Uh, they got wings. It's not the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> That's Anaheim. I don't think they're called Anaheim anymore. And have they got another baseball team, maybe? There Please. are other cities in Pennsylvania apart from oh, Philadelphia. Oh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pittsburgh Pirates. Why didn't I think of that? So that's it? Yeah, that's it. Three. What's, uh, what's, oh, the, NFL, what's the NFL team in Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers, oh, yeah. I didn't think of another city. Yeah. That wasn't very smart. Yeah. So you could have had the Philadelphia, had five. Philadelphia Flyers of the ice hockey team. Pittsburgh yeah. Penguins are the ice hockey team. Pittsburgh oh. don't have a basketball team. Okay. So, in the Commonwealth Games, the top country with the medals. I don't want the top five. I want six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, no well, idea. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you I this. Know, number eight is Wales. So, well, well, hang on. So, one, two, three, four, five. Australia, England, Canada, probably. Yep. Third would have been. I think it's Scotland with th- uh, fourth, actually. Well, well, I'm not. I'm. I'm going to. Uh, you, you just okay. tell. Tell me the six. Till okay. Ten. Uh, yeah. Six till ten. Yep. Wales were eighth. I know yep, that. Yeah, that's in there. So I got a point. Now I think New Zealand were in the top five, so it's not them. So we need some other kind of Commonwealth countries that are quite decently sized. Let's say South Africa. Are they ninth? Ninth. Yes. Let's say. Jamaica. No. No. Let us say India. Fourth. Oh, India were fourth. Oh, that opens the door. So Canada. In that case, I'm going to say Scotland. Sixth. All right. Got three. Three as well. So the other, the other two would have. Seventh is Nigeria. Oh, the Nigerians. And tenth wouldn't have got this in a million years. Uh, it'll be Malaysia. It is Malaysia. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Three all. Three all. Not bad. Not, not bad. bad. All right. <laughs> 25 Australian test cricketers weren't born in Australia. Name any five out of 25 Australian test cricketers not born in Australia. A couple of vessels. That's one. Uh, Usman Khawaja. Usman Khawaja is two. Oh, do I go for that one? No, nah, I reckon he's Australian. Oh, I'll have him there in the back. I'll chuck him <laughs> out there later. No one really springing to mind just now. I'm going to be honest. There's a lot of old ones. Okay. Because I'm just putting it out there. Australia's first ever test. I think seven players were born overseas. So they're old, though. Oh, gosh. Well, I don't, I'm not going to know any of them. Could be with some Englishmen in there. I'll, I'm going to chuck this one in, but I think he's Australian. Ashton Agar. Yeah, I think he is Australian. Yeah. I think he's from Melbourne, actually, and his brother Wes. No, they didn't. They didn't never New Zealander at some point. No, they will come the other way because Matt. Sinclair, I can tell you. I can Matt's... tell you. There's three New Zealanders. Oh, you only got. You'd only get one, and and you'd have to know it. I feel like because because there's other ones. So because Matt Sinclair was born here but played yeah. New Zealand, and obviously Ronky Donkey came across. So in the old days, well, who's from the old days? 1886, 1888, okay, whenever it was well, the I'm first. Okay, I'm not going to know one. You might, you might know one. He's got, uh, he's got an unbelievable test record that still stands to this day. It was in the first ever test. Um, that played for Australia. I don't even know anyone on the team. Okay. Uh, I'm basically trying to think of sort of 
There's there's really one standout you should know. Um, Andrew Simons. That's the one. Yes. Good work, Rob. Born in England. Oh, was that? I thought he was born in the West, didn't he? No, nah, you got asked to play for England Day, and they he said okay, no. Okay, so I've had four, three, and You've I guess th- yeah. one guess one guy left. Played for Australia was oh Phil Jacques. Like it, like the way you think there, but Phil Jacks is Australian, I'm pretty sure. Okay. All right, Charles Bannerman is number one because right. he scored 65% of the runs in the first ever test. Right. And it still holds today, which is yep. amazing. John Hodges, don't know. Tom Kendall, don't know. William Midwinter, don't know. Percy McDonald, don't know. William Cooper, Henry Musgrave, Henson, Sammy Carter, Tony Dell. Then you got Andrew Simons, Matt Renshaw, born in England. Ah. In New Zealand, Tom Gruber, Clary Grimmett, I remember him. Brendan Julian, oh, born in New Zealand. The, I was thinking of a bowl. That, that's the one that was floating around okay, there. Okay, all right. There were two Irishmen that played for Australia, Tom Hoare and Tom Kelly. Don't know. Bransby Cooper and Rex Sellers, born in India, played what? for Australia. Steve O'Keefe. Born in Malaysia. Oh, jeez. Archie Jackson, born in Scotland. Kepler Vessels, Sevevriga. Usman Khawaja, Pakistan. Moses Onriques. Uh, born yeah. in Portugal. Yeah, right. Dav Watmore, born in Sri Lanka. And Hilton Cartwright, born in Sri Lanka. Okay. Oh, Zimbab- right Zimbabwe. You Mate, did. That was excellent. Could have the only one I thought of was Stuart Clark. I thought he was born in India, but he had Indian parents. Uh. Born in uh, Sydney. And then went to India and then came back. So that's the one I would have picked out. How about that, Pete? Yeah. All right. Sticking with Commonwealth Games. Oh, loving my favourite subject. In what top five sports has Australia won its medals across all the years? Oh, all, all types of medals okay. at the top Swimming five Swimming is number one. Yes. I would have thought cycling is probably there. It's in there. Okay. Well, hockey. Not in Are there. They, okay, so I've got to ask a question. Com- 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 Are games. these just medals? Like individual any, all, medals. All okay, medals. so hockey, you only get one medal. So it's okay. That's out the out the door. Uh, gymnastics, then? No, no. Where are you going to win a lot of medals? And it's oh, let's say athletics, then. Yes. Okay, because you get a lot. That's of medals. three out of three. I would. Is number in the top five weightlifting? Five fifth. Yeah. And one more. Uh, a lot of medals. Lot I think of... it was in New Zealand. He asked me a similar question, and it was in New Zealand as well. Oh, really? Okay, big Commonwealth sport shooting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So three. So three. We've got all, all three so far. It's all okay. Up. Come on, Roberto. This, Focus. This is going to be interesting. I, I don't know if this is too hard or too easy. Name any five of the twelve American gladiators from their debut season, 1989-90. Nitro. Nitro's one. He has watched it. Bugger. Titan. Titans two. <laughs> Blaze. Blaze is three. Oh, he could be on for a fiver here. <laughs> These are the original ones, Rob. Okay. Um, I'm thinking of the women now. <laughs> Just imagine if we had the music going on now. Da, 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 da. I'm going to go for Storm. No. Oh, no Storm on the original. Damn. Because I know that the Wolfman is from the British he's, one. He's Britain, yeah. Yeah. So I've got Titan was the main one I remember. Okay. Nitro Titan. <laughs> Who else is there? <laughs> how, how many all up was there? Twelve. There's twelve. Yep. Come on, just think of something. Something r- ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Thunder. No thunder. No thunder. Sorry, Rob. No thunder. <laughs> you could have had Malibu. Oh, would not have got Malibu. You could have had Lace. Lace, I remember Lace. Oh, dear. You could have had Zap. Wouldn't have got Zap. Gemini. Maybe Gemini. Michael Horton, that was. Nitro. Sunny was Cheryl Baldinger. No. Blaze. Yeah. Bronco was Rich Bronco. Finnegan. Gold. 
Gold, yes. Tonya Knight. Yeah. Laser. Laser. That's it. Jade. <laughs> and you got Titan. I got Titan. So you went three, three, three. You got nine, Rob. <laughs> All right. Do you like that question or what? Yeah, great one. <laughs> Love that. All right. This is a great question. All righty. On the 18th of September 2009, seven players were inducted into the Newport County Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes. Um, name any of the five of the seven players. Now, I'm going to, to give you this one clue. Yeah. Tommy Tynan was the original opening one in April of the same year, so he wasn't in there. Oh, okay. So all there's right. no Tommy Tynan, all right? So we're going to say Len Weir. Is this the second inductment? Oh, how many were in the first inductment then? One. Just, oh, just, just Tommy. Tommy Tynan. Okay, so we got Len Weir. No. What? No, no Len Weir. Len Weir wasn't in the... <laughs> he wasn't in what there. What were we doing? <laughs> He's an all-time record holder. Okay, well, John Aldridge. No. No? <laughs> You can only die now, Beef. You can only die. What were we doing? Were we on drugs? We clearly were. Okay. John Relish. Yes. Oh, jeez. We had some sense. (laughs) God. Uh, uh, Okay. Who else was... uh, Keith Oaks. One of the greatest players we ever had. No. No. No, Keith Oaks. All right. So you're looking at um, John Rowland. Graham Rowland. John Rowland. No. No. These are all names I recognise from the most games and yeah, yeah, yeah. and most goals. I've done that before. Okay. But uh, anyway, it's game over. It is game over. Um, you Horrendous. can keep going if you want to go. Nah, In nah. fact, one of these I remember you not getting. Roddy Jones. Roddy Jones, yeah. Chris Lillygreen. <laughs> How do you put Chris Lillygreen ahead of people like John Aldridge and Len Weir? I don't think John Aldridge was even in there. Oh, he is now, but uh, um, yeah, okay. anyway. Ken Morgans. Kenny Morgans. Uh, Albert Derrick Sr. Albert Derrick Sr., yeah. Kevin Moore. Oh, oh, you put Kevin Moore in ahead of Keith Oaks? I don't know. Kevin Moore, yeah, great player. Dave, Dave Williams. David Williams. Well, he was all sorts of people. Okay. Uh, manager. And all sorts. <laughs> One. <laughs> Clearly, our Hall of Fame is just what? that. Probably a lot of those guys who came in later, yeah, but not. They did. They yeah. did. <laughs> All right, well, amazing. Congratulations, Rob. Yeah, Good on the uh, got there. American Gladiators from the original <laughs> yeah, appreciate, series. All appreciate right. it. A man who legally changed his name to Fire Exit yeah. <laughs> opened up about what it's like to have his name up in lights, declaring, there's nobody more famous than me. A man who changed his name to Fire Exit by Deepol says his unusual name follows him wherever he goes and claims there is no other person more famous than me on the planet. Fire Exit, previously known as Dean Wilson, has opened up about what it's like to have his name up in lights, remarking, it's funny thinking my name is illuminated somewhere every day across the globe. The 41-year-old audio and visual installation engineer initially changed his name as a joke, but it has since brought him some fame, leading to meet and greets where people bring along their own Fire Exit signs for him to sign. According to Fire Exit, his girlfriend is now sick of the sight of Fire Exits, and he admits there are more Fire Exit signs than plastic bags in our house. Fire Exit lives in Hampshire. There's nobody more famous than me. I'm the only person whose name is still up in lights, even when there's a power cut. Wow, 
this is ridiculous. Yes. Mm. I've even had meet and greets where I just show up and sign people's fire exit signs. They said it would be like like a George Foreman grill. The exit sign with my signature at the bottom. Endorsed by fire exit. Mm. When at work, fire exit says his mates love telling people who he is and he claims he can't go anywhere without people pointing his name out above doors. It's not about fame. It's more the comedy factor for me. The funniest things to come out of it from the haters, not the lovers. It's incredible the number of different kinds of reactions people have. It's about comedy and how far you can take the joke. When I tell the story of me being called Fire Exit, it's seeing the different reactions I get that I find interesting. Is it his first name's Fire, his last name's Exit? Yeah. Okay. It's on his passport and everything. There's pictures of his passport. Fire Exit. <laughs> oh, it's a good commitment. I don't, I don't, <laughs> a, I don't mind what it. What a commitment. Yeah. What will you change your name, Rob, to uh, anything exciting? On air, possibly? Gold Titan. Oh, I like Zap. Yeah. <laughs> Gold Titan. Nitro Laser. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a show. What a show. It's absolutely flown by right, tonight. Right. We've got to thank Matt Hookings for jumping on the phone. I mean, he's just starting a film with Russell Crowe and Ray Winston. Yeah. And he's talking to us. Yeah, yeah. 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 Some, so we have to people. thank Matt. We have to thank Jack Link's Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky on the planet. If you're doing anything of note this weekend, actually, if you're not doing anything of note, if you're just doing anything, if you're breathing, get yourself some Jack Link's Beef Jerky and just wail away the time. It is the food of astronauts mm. it really is what you got coming up this weekend rob ah oh, forget about this weekend i'm staying off in seven hours cool i'm mm. flying to brisbane in six hours right. and i've still got the scar show to do hey so uh i'm probably get home at about quarter to three yeah i'll have to leave at four to get to the airport yeah so uh i'm looking well forward planned. to that i have to put it out there as well get well soon beef senior because uh, he's had a few issues these uh, last couple of weeks so that's what i've got to head up there and make sure he's doing all right mm. This has been episode 260 of the greatest vaguely sports sports show on the planet. 365 days of sport. See you next week.